We're going to turn to Judges chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah and saw that there was a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at this time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have, have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Some time later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. When he joined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose thirty men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to him. If you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me thirty, thirty linen garments and thirty sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, Out of the eater something to eat, out of the strong something sweet. For three days they could not give the answer. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, You hate me, you don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he, re he replied, so why should I explain it to you? He cried the whole, she cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her, because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson, Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down thirty of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. The days of the judges were lawless days, no government and no police, and uh, no army, and uh, no courts, and no judges. The only laws were the scriptures, and what people wanted to do with them, and what people, how people wanted to follow them. And even then, they didn't have the scriptures unless they went to the house of God. And even when they went to the house of God, they might not have heard God's word, because the priest might not have read, it, read the word. The priest was only concerned about taking in the offerings. And uh, so the nation was a mess. And that is what you read as you read this book. 
the people of God were a mess. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, this past week I was thinking, wow, imagine if, imagine if no one, our, no one in our city ever committed a crime. And so we, we could get rid of all of our police officers. They make about $100,000 a year times 150. And then imagine we wouldn't need our courts anymore and a senior judge in Ontario makes $300,000 a year and a junior judge makes about $215,000 a year. And then you have lawyers and then you have prison guards who have to look after the prisoners. And you start to add up all the money that we spend just to catch people who are doing bad things. I want to save that money, but you can't. People do wrong things, and in fact, it's continuing. And that was the days of the judges. Everyone did what they wanted to, and they did what was right in their eyes. And there was no police, and there was no army to stop any of it. It was the Wild West. And uh, might made right. And uh, that's what you read in the book. And you read it in the story of Samson. Now, I've got a commentator here, and I love this man, Gary Enrig. I, I heard him speak when I was a student at Dallas, so he's got to be old. And uh, he was a Canadian pastor. He was from Calgary, and uh, he was such a, uh, such a good preacher that they had him come down to Dallas to speak to the students. And uh, he's written a book on the book of Judges called Hearts of Iron, Feet of clay, hearts of iron, people are brave, feet of clay, they're kind of a mess. They do wrong things. And anyway, here's what he says about Samson. And this is talking about this chapter. Samson was a man with a passion for freedom in the middle of a society committed to compromise. With all his failures... He was the only man of his day to recognize that there can be no compromise with the enemy. The Jews were committed to appeasement, but Samson was committed to be God's freedom fighter. Now, I'm sorry you said amen, because I disagree with every sentence he says. <laughs> sorry, Roy, I didn't mean to trick you. <laughs> As you read through the story of Samson, he is not about freedom except his own. And he doesn't care about the people of God except himself. And uh, that's, kind of, that's kind of the point of the story. God can use a selfish, sinful, self-seeking person to accomplish his plans and desires. In fact, he does it every day in this world. It doesn't really matter what the people of this world do. God will accomplish his plans. Everybody could turn against him, and everybody could disobey him, and he will still accomplish his purposes, even using sinful people. He does it with Samson. Now listen to, what, listen to that. He was the only man of his day to recognize that there can be no compromise with the enemy. This is a story about compromise with the enemy. That's all Samson's life was, was compromise. 
Um, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. You can follow along, and then I'll, make, you know, I'll interject comments in the text. This is my translation, so it might sound a little different than yours. Samson went down to Timnath. He saw a woman in Timnah who was a Philistine. He went up and said to his father and his mother, I saw a woman in Timnah who's a Philistine. So now, get her for me as a wife. Great way to talk to your parents. So now, get her for me. His father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the women of your brothers and among all our people that you're going to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? They're not committed to God. They don't have the covenant. They're not, they're not devoted to God. Why would you go down there and marry one of them? Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Get her for me, she's right in my eyes. It doesn't really matter about anything else. <laughs> I've seen her, and she's right. Um, it's funny. It doesn't seem like he's talked to her. He's just seen her. And on the basis of just seeing her, he can say, she's right in my eyes. His parents, of course, are shocked. Their dreams are being dashed. What's more, what's most shocking, of course, is that Samson has been devoted to God from before his birth, a Nazarite, to live a clean life, eat nothing unclean, touch nothing unclean, touch no dead body, not ever be in the presence of a dead body, never cut his hair, and yet he's willing to go and live with Philistines. Um, I remember the first time I saw my wife, and I liked what I saw. She was right in my eyes, but we didn't get married yet. I went and talked to her, and we developed a relationship. We started to date. She became more right in my eyes, and, uh, and, and after a while, we fell in love. At first, the attraction is only physical, but it moves beyond that. And for poor Samson, it seems like that was enough. He doesn't even have to talk to her. He knows she's the one. It was right in his eyes. And Samson lived his life based on what he, fit, he felt. This is what I feel. So this is what I'm going to do. And my right actions, my actions are based on my feelings. Now, there has been a philosophical shift in your lifetime and mine. If you're under 30, how many of you are under 30? And if you're over 30, this shift has occurred slowly, and uh, it has happened to us, and we've kind of become embedded in it too. The truth is now determined by feelings. And how you feel about something is actually the way that you determine what is true. Scary. But uh, you can see it when you watch a sports program. And when you, when you watch a sports program, it's not enough to show you somebody playing golf. They have to tell you the story of the person who is playing so that you will feel a certain way as you watch the event. It's not just enough to see the facts unfold in front of you. A story has to go with it so that you will feel a certain way, and that's because there has been this shift, and it's touched all of us. And now we live in a world where finding the truth is based on how someone feels about it. And guess what? We've got the church has really bad stories. And the world has got different stories that makes them feel differently, and that's how they're determining their truth. 
It's, 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 it's sad. We're caught up into it too. But guess what? We do have stories. Great stories. Not only do we have the ancient stories, like the stories of Samson from 1100, no, not 1100, 3100 years ago. We have the stories of God coming into this earth, but we have stories happening today in people's lives. Wonderful story. Notice verse 4, the point of the story. His parents are, are disgusted. Samson's going down to marry a Philistine. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord because the Lord was seeking an occasion with the Philistines. And at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Everything Samson's doing is wrong, and God is using it. God wants an opportunity to rescue his people, and he uses the sinful actions of Samson to do it. This is one of the grandest and greatest glimpses into the awesomeness of our God. He uses people completely opposed to him and oblivious to him to accomplish his plans. He uses terrible, sinful actions of people to accomplish his purposes. Now, this is not a case of the ends justifying the means, because when it comes to God, the means matter. I am praying that Donald Trump's presidency helps the world through the chaos of bad behavior. God can use sinful bad behavior to accomplish his purposes. And I pray he does that through the sinfulness of Donald Trump and through the sinfulness of Justin Trudeau. Both of them immoral, sinful people. Uh, Wednesday nights we're studying Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon writes the book and he says, um, the theme is everything is meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2. However, that's looking at life under the sun. That's looking at just human life. When it just comes to what humans do, there's no significance and meaning to it. At the end of the day, it's all a chasing after the wind, he says. But at the end of the book, here's what he says. He says, all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. And that's how the book ends. God will bring every deed into judgment. Um, the ends do not justify the means. The means will be judged by God. Everyone will give an account. And one day, Samson will have to stand before God, and God's going to say to him, my plan was to rescue my people, and I was going to use you. But it didn't really matter whether you sinned or were righteous. I was going to use you to rescue my people. You chose to be sinful, and I used that. And in our own lives, God is going to get his job done. And what we do each and every day matters. And how we do it. There are three grand examples in Scripture of God using sinfulness to accomplish his purposes. Let me read first, the first one. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. How many of you think selling your brother into slavery is wrong? How many of you think that? Come on, this is not a trick question. 
you shouldn't do that. When I was, when I was a boy, I hurt my brother, and my father said to me, he said, why did you hurt my brother? Hurt your brother? And I said, well, am I my brother's keeper? Quoting Cain. You should never quote Cain. Quoting the Bible. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer, yes. You are your brother's keeper. You are responsible for your brother. They sold Joseph into slavery. Years later, they come back. They find him in Egypt. And here's what Joseph says to his brothers when he reveals himself. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you. For two years there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Genesis 50, you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. God can take sinfulness and accomplish his purposes. Or secondly, the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk is looking out at the world, and he says to God, it's an evil, terrible world. People are hurting others. Why don't you come and do something about it? And so then God tells him, okay, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to bring the Babylonians to come and punish these evildoers. And then Habakkuk goes, God, they're worse. How can you use somebody that's worse to do this? Because he can use evil people to accomplish his purposes. Here's what he says, Habakkuk 1. I am going to do something in your days you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians. Uh, they're from Iraq, by the way. Hi, G. <laughs> I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. They will sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. There are a lot of themselves. He says, I'm going to use evil people to punish those who do evil. But the greatest example in Scripture is God putting his son on the cross and using sin, sinful people to do it. Here's what Peter says at Pentecost. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross you see that this man was handed over to you by God's plan and God's foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death because God was enacting his plan and using sinful people to do it notice with me verse 5 Samson went down in his, with his father and mother to Timnah they came to the vineyards of Timah, and behold, a young lion of the lions roaring to meet them. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. He tore it apart like one tears apart a goat kid, and there was not anything in his hands. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he did. I have no idea what it's like to wrestle a baby goat, but I think I could take it, even if I fell on top of it, because it's so small. 
and I could pick it up and I could throw it around. Yay, me. But not a lion. <laughs> Samson does to a lion what I could do to a baby goat. With his bare hands, he takes it and rips it apart. Striking. Uh, don't try this at home. And notice he doesn't tell his parents because he's no, he knows he's done wrong. The wrong is that he has now touched a dead body. He should now go to the tabernacle, shave off his hair, and restart his Nazarite vow. Samson doesn't care what God says. He's on the way to his wedding. So what he, if he has defiled his, his uh, separateness to God and his vow to God? He's going to get married, and so he goes and he does that, and he doesn't tell his parents anything about the dead body. And a few days later, he comes across that dead carcass again, and the bees have been in there. And apparently these are the bees that uh, eat the carcass, and they turn that into honey, and he goes up to the carcass, and he takes honey, honey out of the carcass, and again, here he is in the presence of a dead body, something he should not do, and his vow should be over, and he takes the honey, he eats it, and he gives it to his parents. Complete disregard for his vows to the Lord. Verse 10, his father went down to the woman, and there Samson made a party, for this is what the young men did. And when they saw him, they got 30 companions to be with him. Verse 12, Samson said to them, Let me please ask you a riddle. If you can find it out and explain it to me in the days of the party, I will give you 30 shirts and 30 fancy garments. But if you're not able to tell me, then you will each give me 30 shirts and 30 gala garments. And they said to him, Tell us your riddle that we may hear it. So he said, From the eater came out food, and from the strong came out sweet. They were not able to explain the riddle for three days. So on the fourth day, they said to the wife of Samson, notice she's already his wife, seduce, or you could translate that, persuade, fool, deceive. Seduce, persuade, fool, deceive your husband. Tell us the riddle, else we will burn you and the house of your father with fire. Did you invite us to take possession of our stuff? We talked about this last time. How much is a human life worth? And for them, a new set of clothes. If I have to go out and buy a new set of clothes, I would rather kill you and burn you than to have to do that. And of course, his wife's upset. It's funny, the text says Samson's wife wept over him. Uh, he didn't know what hit him. A woman's tears and his wife's tears. You only hate me. You do not love me. By the way, I like the way you read that, Brent. You have told the riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not told me the answer. And he said to her, Behold, to my father and my mother I have not told it. Why should I tell you? And she wept over him the seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him, and she told the riddle to the sons of her people. Uh, I was going to talk about gambling here. I'm not even going to do it. Don't do it. Uh, confession, I have gambled. Uh, we went on a cruise, and I put nickels in the nickel slot machine. Uh-oh. <coughs> um, if you can't afford to lose it, you can't afford to bet it. And uh, you have 30 men who don't want to give up a new set of clothes. And for Samson, who doesn't want to give up 30, verse 19. 
Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 men, took their clothes, and gave the fancy garments to the one who explained the riddle. He was angry and went up to the house of his father. That's why I so disagreed with my uh, favorite preacher when I was a kid, my favorite preacher who said that Samson was a freedom fighter. He was angry. And he was mad. And he didn't want to give up 30 sets of clothes. And God used that to begin to liberate his people from the Philistines. And I'm just perverse enough that as I read this, I go, wow, God can use me even if I'm a big sinner, so I'll go ahead and sin. Or I'm just perverse enough to think I can go ahead and sin because my sins are not as bad as Samson's. Or the Spirit of God can do amazing things and help me even if I'm a bad person. By the way, prosperity preachers love Samson because here's the power of the Spirit of God working through somebody even when they're selfish and sinful, think only of themselves. The Scriptures are written in such a way that you're supposed to recognize we're not supposed to act like that. God is great. That's why he rescues his people. Not because Samson's wonderful. Romans 6 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That's Paul. That's what they said about Paul. When you're telling people that it's the grace of God that saves you, not your good deeds, what people are hearing is, well, then I'll just go ahead and do whatever I want and do as much sin as I want. That way God's grace will be greater and it will be better for God. And Paul's response is, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And if Jesus Christ has rescued you and set you free from sin, how can you tolerate it? That's an inconsistency. To be baptized into Christ, baptized into his death, raised to a new life, and then to keep on sinning. It doesn't make sense. Or to look at it another way, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Blessed. If you do what's right, you're blessed. The last couple of weeks, the Roman Catholic Church has been in the headlines and not in a good way. Grand jury in Pennsylvania has indicted around 100 priests and bishops for sexual crimes. A hundred, just in Pennsylvania. And that does not include the Diocese of Philadelphia, the largest diocese in the state. They have already dealt with many of those things. And I feel for Roman Catholics. And here's why I feel. Because they trusted in their church. They trusted in their church. And now they're seeing you can't trust in a church. And notice the scriptures do not say to us, Trust in your church. Never do they say that. Trust trust your leader. Trust your pastor. Trust goes to Jesus Christ. So when you read the book of Judges and you see what God does through Samson, the point of the story is, hey, you should trust Samson even if he does terrible things. That's never the story. That's not, that's not the point. 
The trust goes to Jesus Christ and to God. And every time we build up an institution and a church and we start to build up people like the Pope, the Vicar of Christ, we're misguided. And we're actually, we're actually setting ourselves up for failure because the Vicar of Christ is not the Vicar of Christ. There is no substitute for Christ. That's what Vicar means. There is no substitute for Christ. Our faith is put in Christ and in God alone. That's the story of Samson. You don't, trust, you don't trust the man that he's using. You trust in God. And God's going to accomplish his purposes whether he uses a Samson or whether he uses a David Ben or whether he uses you. And I think he wants to use all of us. And do the ends justify the means? Yes, they do. He will hold us accountable. He will hold Samson accountable.